Blog Talk Radio. Hello and welcome to Colts Authority Radio once again. Uh, having some very similar issues with this uh, software again today, so hopefully we can get that fixed going forward so we can get some better sound quality on here. Uh, but anyway, we're back, uh, and it's Greg Cowan and Kyle Rodriguez again on Offseason Audible's Colts Authority Radio. Uh, today talking about Ricky Jean-Francois released on Monday for a large contract. We'll be talking about that. Uh, we'll also be talking about free agency and the needs that has been presented, especially with the release of Jean-Francois, and then looking at the Combine. Uh, a lot of draft-related content being produced, obviously, in the last couple weeks, and it will continue over the next month as we head towards the draft. Uh, and then the final thing that we're going to talk about today is analytics in the NFL. Uh, ESPN pu- published a big project yesterday looking at, at analytics across the board in the big four North American sports, and NFL teams were, uh, not so surprisingly, not very high on that list, including the Colts. So Greg and I will be talking about that as well. Uh, let me go ahead and bring on Greg now. Greg, can you hear me? Hello. Crossing fingers. Okay. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm sorry that we keep having this trouble. If uh, maybe next week I can just do the call and then host it on my computer then you can do the talking. I mean, you I don't I don't I don't know if it's the hosting or what, but it was the uh the microphone worked all throughout the year with uh with Scott and now we're no, just blame, you can blame me, I don't care. I blame you. It's my fault. It's the it's uh, the Canadian it's the Canadian thing. <laughs> of course. So uh how how are you today? Good. I'm good. I uh yesterday my was I was supposed to have like a productive, you know, working session and whatnot during the day, and uh, then the Colts released Jean Francois, and it kind of it kind of messed everything up. So I appreciate it. Colts trying to keep things interesting in the off season. Yeah, I, uh, one one release a week. I'm I'm good. I'm always good. I'm a uh, you know high on life and on a lot of illegal drugs. So let's do this. I'm excited. Where do you want I'm to start? Let's start with yeah. let's let's start with Ricky Jean Press. Well, I'm going to bounce into it right now. Uh, okay. So released yesterday, unceremoniously, as all of the Colts free agents uh, have been released over the last couple weeks uh, have been, uh, was set to make uh, 5.5 million this year in base salary. It was going to cost to about six and uh, 6.1 million against the cap. Uh, there's still some dead money left on this contract, but for the, the most of it will be voided for the 2015 cap. Uh, so they're looking to save about 5 million from cutting Ricky Jean Francois. And Greg, we've talked about this a lot, the Ryan Gregson contracts 
for these big money free agents that they signed over the last I think, two, three years have, have a lot of them have been set up so that the Colts could do this so that they could cut uh, these free agents if they didn't work out after you know a year or two and save a lot of the money on that contract. A lot of the, all the guaranteed money for the most part was, was in those first couple of years. The signing bonuses weren't huge. Uh, and so now they can cut these players and, and save that money. Uh, what is your, I mean, your general feeling towards this? Are we kind of just, okay, this is now a clean slate? Um, are we, does the, the setup of those contracts and you know, now the fact that they are saving a lot of the money on those, does that give Ryan Grigson some sort of, I don't want to say complete pass, but a little bit of forgiveness on those? So I'm I'm pretty outspoken on these contracts, and I look at them kind of different than other people. I'll just say that if you set up a contract with with the ability to get out of it scot free at some point, then I feel like you you're going into it knowing you're unsure of the player you're signing, and, and rather than sign that player, why don't you find someone you're sure of? And I, I think you and I would agree on this, but I don't want to speak for you, so you can agree with me after I say it. If you're not sure on someone, you don't have to sign them. You don't have to sign a player. I think it's okay to to not sign Laurent Landry and and figure it out as you go. I don't think you're missing anything by signing a mediocre player to a contract and saying in two years I can get rid of you. Well, just just sign a guy with the intention on keeping him for six or longer, or or just don't sign someone. That's that's my feeling. When we come to this free agency period, he has a clean slate because he has 42 million in cap space or whatever it is. So from that standpoint, he has a clean slate, and the team has still been successful. But now you have to have learned from the past three years, okay? Now it's like Laurent Landry, Ricky, I'm going to call him Jean because he's French to me today, Ricky Jean Francois, all that stuff, you know, great. It's in the past, but now move forward and learn from it. If he just makes the same mistakes over again and we're talking about how he signed three players to huge deals, but it's okay because there's no guaranteed money in year three and we can cut them in and blah, blah, blah. Well, then you're just repeating the same mistakes and I don't expect the success rate to be any better. Yeah, I think the the problem with with signing, it, it, I don't, I, don't, I see the upside to what you know, obviously what Gregson and, and the Colts have tried to do, which is get players who they think will either you know bounce back, which would be guys like Dequell Jackson or or you know Laurent Landry had a Pro Bowl year the year before he came to Indianapolis, but but they were hoping he would continue to play at that level, um, or kind of develop and. Uh, come out of nowhere kind of thing like like Greg Toller or Ricky Jean Francois or Jean Francois or however you say the, the French names. And Greg, I'll I'll defer to you since you're Canadian, which is kind of French. Uh but so you either you have those kind of players and you have like the inconsistent players like guys are chairless who had one really good year the year before the Colts signed him and then they, they signed him with a really big contract. Um and he hasn't obviously lived up to to those standards. So you know, it's the unproven guys, it's the inconsistent guys, it's it's the guys that nobody else was probably going to give that kind of money to. Um, so they were risky, but the, I, I mean, I, you see the strategy here is that there's there's some risk to the contracts, but by you know making them as I, I call them tearaway contracts, where you can after I know two years, you can year by year basis reevaluate and decide whether or not you're going to you're going to keep paying them that kind of money. So if they work out, then you then it's great, and you keep going. If not, you just you cut, and you go away. At the same time, there's still there's still cost associated to those contracts. So like for for these ones, uh, they've released they've released 
Landry now. They've released Richard Francois. And so now you have two guys that are cut from the team, and yet they're still going to be costing the Colts about a little less than $5 million this year. So they're still costing the Colts. They still are leaving a big void that has to be filled because even if the play wasn't great, they were still starters last year, so you've got just pure body count that you have to, to fill. Uh, and and now, sure, you have all this cap cap space again to work with, but can you find quality replacements in free agency or in the draft or, or wherever else? Uh, this would all be fine if the Colts had been drafting really well, uh, but a, a lot of the key players that they've drafted haven't, haven't necessarily developed, uh, or they haven't, haven't even addressed the positions in the draft, like, like safety. Um, so, obviously, they haven't had all of the resources in the world to work with, especially in the draft, when you look at some of the limited uh picks that they've had. Of course, that's uh, by their own <laughs> design, so who knows. Uh, but there's still costs associated with these contracts, even if even if the team's not even if the team's not employing Landry uh, or RJF or potentially Donald Thomas after the next few weeks, there's still gonna be so a little bit of leftover cost left and you still have again you have that void to fill. You have to fill it with a new player who has a new a new transition period to go through before he can really be effective. Uh, and and you don't know if you're even going to be able to fill those voids yet. So it just it leaves more questions uh, to answer. And that's I mean for for me that's the last thing that you want to do is just try and continue to answer questions with free agency. And when we've seen in the past when they fill a void in free agency, even if it's with a questionable player, they don't search for that player's eventual replacement in the draft. If they move on, which I guess makes sense because you think you you need to you freed up that asset for something else. But they signed so many free agents that you would think that at, at some point they would have had a stockpile, even with limited draft picks. The problem is some teams hit on their fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh round picks at some point in their lives, and Ryan Grigson is very good at not <laughs> first, second, and third round, pretty good, but the last four just you have to try to be as bad as he is right it takes up yeah i don't know i mean is i guess ty hilton was a fourth round pick they traded up into the third floor so that kind of i I think that's really the only yeah only fourth that's worth because then you have hugh thornton or uh colin holmes and uh and then they traded their fourth in 2014 to move up to get uh, Montori Hughes in the fifth. Like the, the lack of depth issues are because they don't hit on any of those. So that, that sort of has to change before anything gets better. You have to be able to hit on those picks. Not with regularity, but there has to be a hit. You have to be able to get a good special teams player. You have to be able to get a player who just comes out of nowhere and surprises you. And they've been un- unable to do that. With this cut, we're going to keep touching on this, I guess, until it happens, until the 10th. It just feels like they're building towards something bigger. This is my thought last week, and cutting RJF, who they didn't have to cut, right? You don't need $42 million in cap space. You had a player who, was he worth the money? No. But saving money just to save money doesn't mean anything unless you're going to use that money. You know what I mean? Like, there's no sense in cutting him unless you're going to replace him. Right, and that was my question originally when 
we were talking at the beginning of the off season about who was a potential cut candidate, and I just didn't see I just didn't see this cut necessarily coming. I mean, it wasn't surprising because uh, he was a six million dollar cap hit, and he was a average player for the most part. Uh, but but for me, that defensive line, you know, that defensive line has now one starter left that you can really be, I mean, somewhat. Uh, complimented in next year, which is Arthur Jones, and, and he struggled last year in that kind of transitional year. Um, but you, Josh Chapman, we've talked about, needs to probably be replaced as a starter. Uh, Montori Hughes hasn't developed as the potential starter that they hoped he would. Uh, Corey Redding is, is going to be a free agent and possibly retiring. So the, I, I don't know if this you know this move is a hint that maybe you know maybe Corey Redding is uh, thinking about coming back. Maybe they're looking at a big-time free agent uh, defensive lineman. Maybe they're really confident in the defensive lineman in the NFL draft. Uh, but, but again, this is one that leaves a big hole that has to be filled, uh, unlike some of the other cuts that, that could or, or would be made. Um, but the same thing with Landry, really, because they don't have any starters at safety either. And, and so it's, it's just you've got two, two players that were average at best, uh, below average in, in key situations, uh, making a lot of money, and they saved some money with these cuts. They saved about, I think, between the two, they saved about uh, $7 million for this year, something like that. So they did save money with the cuts, but you, you have to replace them. Like you said, you can't just, do not, you can't just save the money just to, just to save it. And I don't think it's just for extensions either because the only extension that had to happen this year, really, uh, if any of them, was Lux, and that doesn't necessarily have to happen. So I, I think they could be planning for some extensions this summer, I, and I don't think that's I don't think that's out of the question at all. I think it's probably likely that they try and lock somebody up, whether it's Costanzo or Hilton or Luck or a combination. But uh, there's there's definitely something something more at work, and they're planning on being aggressive in in free agency. I do differentiate between uh, Landry and RJF. I think one is average, RJF overpaid but average, and one is bad. Maybe maybe I'm too harsh on Landry. Maybe I'm too nice to him. I don't know. But I, he to me, he's not worth the money. And you're better off not having him and, and devoting some time and effort to replacing him. Whereas RJF, even if he's your number three, like fine. He's that, that maybe that's his role in life, and he's way too overpaid at six million for the number three. But at least you have him there. Like now you have to find a number one or two, depending on what you think of Arthur Jones and a number, like you have to find all that depth now. Whereas before you were just overpaying for the depth. And I don't think Landry was, he may not have even been been okay with being the depth. Whereas I, I think that RJF knows that he'd at least be part of a rotation. Although he was upset when, when they did something, when they signed Arthur Jones, was he the one who was upset or I don't know. It seemed like Someone, he was something about it. They didn't he tweet something. Yeah, that's what I thought. So, but I mean, I he, he I obviously played, played and did fine, but yeah, I think I think a move is coming. I don't know what that move is. I, I tweeted today that maybe you read all about all these players who are potential for agents, and it's a bigger, it's a group of bigger names than I think we're accustomed to, right? There's some actual, legitimately good players make that could make it to free agency, maybe. Grigson is just like, well, I want to be prepared in case one of these guys makes it. I want to have the cap space to do whatever I want. 
and Mike Chappell brought up the possibility of them circling back to RJF later at a more reasonable cap hit. So maybe there could be a lot of things at play here. But I really feel like even if he doesn't have a specific move in mind, Grigson is just accumulating all the cap space possible for something because there's there's multiple studs at defensive tackle, and that's one of the places where we want. Like along the defensive line, there are some legitimately good players there who could make it to free agency. So having cap space right now is important, I think, if, you're, if that's the route you want to go. So the big name is obviously Ndamukong Su uh, from mm-hmm. Detroit. And that's the guy who immediately after the cut was made, everybody shot to, um, and, and predictably and, and not so unreasonably. But is that actually something that we can even look at as a possibility? I mean, for me, it's a possibility because I, I think the team could do whatever, and it really wouldn't surprise me at this point. But I, I mean, I, I think I don't even think he's going to make it out of Detroit. So I think there's it, maybe it's just a situational, like you said. Hopefully, you know, if somebody gets out of free agency into the open market, we'll have the cash space to do what we want. But if that was the case, I think they would have waited to make some of these cuts, especially a guy like like Jean Francois, John Francois, because, like I said, they don't have that that play, and they they now have to replace him and the starters. You know. Um, well, it seems likely that one of those tackles makes it out of Detroit, though, right? One of them will right. out. Right, but you don't need, I mean, you don't need $43 million in cap space just to sign Nick Fairley. You know what I mean? Well, <laughs> Ryan Grigsley does. <laughs> <laughs> you see pays for diamonds in a <laughs> But, I mean, but my point is, there there has to be, a, I think, a bigger plan than just, well, if if somebody gets out of Detroit. You know what I mean? So, um, right. Possibly, if, if Sue does make it to the open market, would the Colts be a, a suitor? Uh, it is very possible. I don't know if it's necessarily the number one item on their list, but very possible. Uh, there are some other names out there that are going to be costly, although not nearly as costly as Sue. You, you, you mentioned uh, Fairley. You mentioned uh, yesterday I talked about uh, Terrence Knighton from Denver, who is likely going to make hit the open market as they tag or sign uh, Demarius Thomas to a long-term deal. Uh, probably both Knighton and Julius Thomas are guys that will likely hit the open market. Um, and then Dan Williams, who's a nose tackle for Arizona, he'll probably hit the open market. He's not going to be quite as costly as those other two because the other two are a little bit more of three-down guys. Dan Williams is more of like a two-down nose tackle, uh, which the Colts need. But he 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 should make some money. Not going to be quite as expensive as those guys. And then there's there's a few other kind of more depth guys going on into the open market. Uh, the Jets have a couple defensive linemen, rotational linemen that are probably going to hit the market. Um, there's a few other guys out there, guys from Miami, Audric, who will probably hit the market. But for me, and this is where I want to take this conversation next, Greg, is somebody just tweeted it to us, I think, actually, or commented on the Ricky Jean Francois, John Francois. I don't know. I'm going to keep saying Jean. <laughs> Said it on, on the article this morning was, well, is this a case of Ryan Grigson just getting unlucky in free agency and not hitting, or is it the fact that building in free agency is a fool's game in essence? It's that. I mean, it's always been that. No one can cite a case where a team has spent as much money 
and filled as many spots with free agents as the Colts have tried to do over the past few years and have been successful. Like we, as Colts fans, we need to take a not me and you, but as as Colts fans in general, we need to take a long hard look in the mirror because every time the Redskins signed a free agent, we all made fun of them, and rightfully so. We all made fun of winning the offseason. Only the past three years, it's been Ryan Grigson winning free agency, and it, none of them work. The, the Patriots make a signing here and there, and it works. You, you pick, you pick the guy you need. And you acquire his 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 services with a contract. You don't say, "I need 45 guys. Here's all the money." When they signed Revis, they paid a lot of money for that, but they knew that they were getting Darrell Revis. Darrell Revis. Yeah. Yeah, you're not. You don't have to take chances on so many guys. You build a team through the draft. The way the draft works, especially for good teams, you're still going to have holes, even if you're the greatest drafter. Ever, you're going to have holes because you, you there's a talent drain for the best teams. The Colts went through this under Pullian, and he didn't sign free agents, and eventually it's just too much. But <clears throat> what what the best way to do it, in my opinion, is you draft and you draft and you draft, and when you're there, when you're at a place where you want to win the Super Bowl and you think, well, we're just a piece away, you acquire that piece in free agency if he comes up by overpaying for it, but you get, you're getting a surefire thing. You just cannot fill so many holes. You can't do starting linebacker, starting safety, starting uh, cornerback, starting defensive lineman, starting wide receiver, starting offensive lineman. Like that, for those first two years, he was trying to build an entire starting lineup of free agents. And was that his, I mean, to some extent, that was the position that they were in because they were, I mean, they cleaned out the roster from the point days uh, and not, not unreasonably. They, they didn't have the players they needed for a new system. And so, I mean, it was a case where you had a lot of veteran guys making too much money at that point that needed to be needed to start over. So, I mean, to some extent, they did need to fill more holes in free agency than you would like. But, you see, when, in my mind in sports, if I'm a GM and I reach the burning it down stage, I had no problem with the burning it down. But when I'm... When you're at the burning down stage, let it burn. He was like, well, I've burnt it down. The embers are still, you know, hot. Let me throw Leron Landry on the fire. Okay, I guess. But why? Just let it burn well, a couple years. Get a, get a well, few what more are you doing? You, just, you, you can only roll over so much cap space. Dude, at least, you know, a, a year and a half of it, okay? Just, you want to, <laughs> you don't need to salt the earth. But you want to make sure everything that needed to burn was burned. And then you get a few high draft picks. Like the only move that he's made that where he acquired a player was Vontae Davis, right? And that was a trade. Well, I mean, if you look at in terms of free agency, I think you can point at Corey Redding worked out well. Uh, well. And then you have, and then you have, though that was really the only like multi year deal that worked out well. And then you have a couple. Uh, you know, those short deals that, you know, you're not risking anything. And Darius Butler, he worked out well, and, and Mike Adams worked out well. I mean, so and, so those uh, are, I Freeman. think, the three guys that worked in, uh, in the last three years and, in terms of free agency. And Freeman, right? Because Freeman was a, was technically a free agent. True, true. But, yeah, I'm, I, you know, I, I tend to classify him a little differently because he was a, you know, you're coming from outside the league. Um, but, yeah, I mean, you could, you could qualify Freeman as well. But Okay, can, then we, can you, we agree on this then? 
the moves yeah, that he's made, other than the other than Devontae, the, the the successful moves have been the the smaller deals. Like one year for Mike Adams, Corey Redding was a multi-year deal, but he wasn't a huge name. What he provided no, was no. very what he provides is very important. But all of his big deals have been the problem. It's the the small ones that have been fine. Yeah. Right. But but aren't we saying get a, a big deal? Yeah, but see, his big deals haven't been with like when big he signed players. those big contracts, they weren't <laughs> with good players. They were with players where you and I said at the time this is going to be a mistake, right? Right. You look at all, all of those big contracts had had significant questions about them. Uh, Jim, John Francois right. was a was a backup. Uh, Cheerless had only had one good year. Uh, Arthur Jones really has only had one like worth that kind of money year as well. Uh and I like Arthur Jones and I like Cheerless when they're when they're healthy, but there is there was question there. Nicole Jackson had been on the downside. Uh who else? Walden was Walden. So yes. Uh Don Thomas had never been a starter. So yeah, I'm with you. If he if they sign Sue, I want to get to the combine, but if they sign Sue just because he's the name that we keep going back to, I'm we're all gonna hate the contract. That's the price of business and free agency. You're going to sign something, and you're going to hate yourself in the morning. But I feel like you're getting a player who is who is changing, who is a game changer. We, you and I, have whined and complained and moaned and begged for a, a playmaker on the defensive line. That's what he is. He's crazy, and he might get suspended for four games. And I don't know if he'll find Nick Harper's wife somewhere and get stabbed. But when he's on the field stuff will happen and it'll probably be good. Right? Like he's going to change everything because of the way he plays and you're going to spend a ton of money on it, but you're at least you're getting a player who you're pretty sure will be good. I'm positive he would be good. And that's not a a ringing endorsement for me to do it. I'm just saying that's the, that's the kind of deal where you're overpaying, but you're overpaying for someone who you think is going to perform. Here's, here's the issue for me for Sue. Yeah, Even if he, no, if he makes it out of Detroit, and he makes it out of Detroit, he's going to get a six-year, one hundred and probably about one hundred and five million dollar contract. He's he's probably going to get paid more than what JJ Watt got paid last year. All right. If he hits the open market, so for me that's it's just. Even if he's good, and I think he will be good, but I don't think he's going to be as good as he was in Detroit. Not at least not for the first year, because there is a transitional period. He is moving into a new scheme. Uh, he's he's more of a he's not a a two gap kind of player as much as he is a penetrating defensive lineman in the in the four three. So there's going to be a transitional period, and he's still going to be costing. I mean, he's still going to be costing the team. You're looking at you know sixteen, seventeen, eighteen million dollars a year for the next six years. And for a team that's going to have the richest quarterback in the league as soon as this extension gets done, a team that still has to extend their starting left tackle if they want to have a left tackle because they don't have any depth, uh, if they want to extend their starting wide receiver, you know they've got a, and then they've got the tight ends coming up. I mean, you, you just have so much in the future in terms of retaining your own free, retaining your own draft picks, which we'll both agree is the way to build a team that 
you add on a hundred million dollar contract on all that, and it it's it strains a lot of things. Okay, I can give you a two word answer as to why the Colts do this deal. You ready? I'm gonna blow your mind. Jim, per se. <laughs> I'm not saying they won't do it. I'm saying it'll hurt. I mean, you, how many, how many, that's, that, again, it goes back to the, it goes back to the fool's gold nature of free agency. How many $100 million contracts have worked out? Not, yeah, no, I get it, but, but Jim's going to get in the plane and he's going to fly but, over to Detroit and he's just going to start dropping out suitcases of money until one hits two and he's going to be like, <laughs> Call me. But that's okay, but, but really, that's my point. Is that all of the big, huge contracts where one team goes for another, they they very rarely, if ever, work out because there's a lot of factors at play when you're talking about going from one system, one team where you were really successful, to a completely new situation. That there's a lot of factors that keep can keep players from being successful. I mean, you look at. I mean, Albert Hainsworth was supposed to be a sure thing. I mean, he was. He was. He was supposed to be a sure thing when he signed that hundred million dollar contract. That's a good comparable. They're both crazy. Yeah, and I mean, there was there was attitude issues. There was just complete performance issues. There's a lot of issues that went into that, and they're not all going to factor into the Dominic soon. I don't think he was going to be out of the league in whatever three or four years. But uh, but I mean, there's a lot of reasons why those huge hundred million dollar contracts don't work. Even I mean, you could look at I, I think probably the one that's worked out the best in terms of a defender getting a huge contract like that would be I mean maybe Mario Williams in Buffalo. I mean he's still been somewhat effective, but he hasn't been like lead you know elite pass rusher effective, which is really what they were hoping they would get, right? I mean he's he's had he's been an effective pass rusher and their defense has been really good, but he hasn't been like all pro. Good, so good yep. my question, or here, I'll let you go, but my question is, are you willing to pay a hundred million dollars to a player who very likely won't be an all pro for at least no. the first year? But I'm willing to spend Jim Mercy's hundred million dollars on a whole bunch <laughs> of stuff. So no, <laughs> this is no, all I, made up. You it doesn't agree. matter. So who cares? <laughs> you, you and I agree on, on a free agency, but it, I feel like something's coming. So yeah, when I have, when, when we, when we talk about this, when I tweet about it, when we're doing this, I'm speaking from the angle of something's happening and I sure as hell hope that it's actually a good player and not just another round of hidden gems. Yeah. Let's talk about analytics real quick because this is one of those areas where you can take a hidden gem and find one and uh sign and them I can for understand not it like right and sign them for low and have them work out because you you've studied them and you, and they're better than their situation or their number their you know their conventional numbers whatever like you study them with analytics because analytics help you find things that normal stats or eye tests whatever don't may not show a study or not a study, but a report from ESPN talked about how every team in the four major sports in North America looked at analytics. We'll only deal with the NFL for now. 
I will say the NFL is behind the times compared to all the other sports in, in so many ways, technologically speaking, Twitter, websites, uh, streaming sites for, you know, game days and whatnot. But analytically, Access none of them... Access for non-traditional media. Yeah, you know what? NFL is the only one who doesn't have access for non-traditional media. Yep. So you look at you uh, look at the NBA teams, and they are covered every day by blogs. Like their their games every night are covered by by just bloggers. And it hasn't hurt. Like no, it's helped their product. So that that's uh, self-serving on our part. And people probably don't want to hear us complain about it again. So I'll just let's let's take the analytics for now. The Colts were what were they listed as skeptical? The only thing that they have any sort of advanced study on are injuries, and not but in the sense of they study how players move and work out in camp to try to prevent injuries, which is great, but not it's really. It's also really analytics. ironic that that's the one issue where they we know that they have analytics is injuries. Yeah. What are your thoughts on this? I'm a big analytics guy. I know you are, but maybe. Yeah, I'm a big analytics guy too, and uh, you you would hope that the Colts would be more, you know, embracing of some of these uh, tactics. Uh, we don't know. I don't know exactly how accurate the ESPN project is. You know, whether or not there are things under the radar that that they don't know about or not. Um, but I know that the guy who worked on it for the NFL side. Uh, was Kevin Seifer, who is the, what, I think he's the NFL North reporter for ESPN. Uh, and he has done yeah. a lot of the, a lot of the of research for those ESPN projects that need uh, kind of inside information. So like when, when ESPN does their, like, here's what, you know, NFL GMs and scouts and everything, and this is how they rank quarterbacks and stuff like that. He's usually the guy that takes those. So he does have a lot of contacts. Um, he's he's done a lot of research. There's a lot of information on a lot of the teams in that in that project. Um, so I, I think there is some truth to it. And I think I think from all the information we have about the Colts, they are run pretty traditionally by Ryan Gregson. Uh, obviously, it's hard to to complain about making it to the AFC Championship and being where they are. There's also other factors that go into it, like having Andrew Luck. But uh, you know, I don't, I don't. Again, it's you look at these other teams and you read about how they have. You know, they have a team of, of four or five analysts that, you know, specifically work on certain areas and whatnot. And you, you wonder why these these million, billion-dollar organizations don't, like, like why not? You know, like why not invest you know, 500000 into uh, a really good team of analytics? I mean, that doesn't mean you have to take it as, as gospel, but, but why not? In, uh, there, there's been a bunch of analytics that have popped up. I'll use hockey as an example because it's my second focus, or maybe my first nowadays. Teams have found the guys who have created these analytics and these websites and paid them. The sites have shut down because they've paid them to come work for them. I've never understood why a team, any of them, but we'll use the Colts for example, in this example, have, haven't gone to Aaron Schatz and said, here's like you said, five hundred thousand dollars. Forget football outsiders. Come work for us. What do you What do you have to lose? But beyond PFF and QBR and DVOA, which I think are the most commonly known and used, there's so many other things that aren't dissected. Well, teams may dissect them, but 
there beyond you know sacks there's hurries there's pressure you know there's there's different ways to look at a pass rush or a pass rusher that we don't get to see with conventional stats and i don't know how much analytics look into like how often is he double triple team you know there's a whole bunch of stuff and i there's i'm having trouble coming up with stuff on the spot but there, I know that there are so many places we could go with analytics in, NF, in the NFL where th- that's what I'm talking about, where you take a gym or a hidden gym and you go, well, look, you know, he's not starting and he's only getting limited steps, but look at these numbers. Look, when he is and this is happening and this is happening and he's not getting sacks, I'm, I'm just using pass rush here, but he's doing this and this and this. And so maybe, you know, if he had a higher uh, snap count, if he was given a bigger role, something might happen there and, and we're not going to give him starter money because he certainly hasn't earned it, but we'll, we'll, we'll give him, you know, a contract and let him earn that chance to put up better numbers, something like that. Or I don't know, you, you, but you, you see where I'm going with this. There is definitely a chance to look deeper into sports than we are now into football than we are now. And, and teams aren't even interested in it. And my argument has always been, why not? What are you afraid of? The worst case scenario is it doesn't work. It's a penny compared, a drop in the bucket compared to Eric Walden not working or LeRon Landry not working. So why not invest in something that can help you find players who will work? And I don't know. And I think some, I think there are teams that do buy in. And there were, I think there were hints uh, last year that the Colts were one of the teams that does subscribe to PFF. Um but there's still a difference between I, I think there's a big difference between, you know, working with an outside uh organization like PFF and, and using that and having your own team that does unique you know, that does does some unique things. Uh there are teams that are very big on analytics and they've been very open about it. Uh teams like the Jaguars or the Falcons, uh some of there's there's some other ones as well. I think I think the Ravens actually do a really good job with that as well. But uh it's the the Colts have really no, at least no. What's the word I'm looking for? No um, documented history. Interest? Anyway, yes, they they have no documented history of anything other than this this injury technology, the the practices and monitoring how players move and, and stuff like that. It's a shame that when you took an old school dinosaur like Pullian and removed him, that your um, your next step wasn't to modernize the operation as much as possible. I get that Grigson is a former player, but there's former players who actually buy into this stuff. So it would have been nice if they had taken things in that route. And, you know, Grigson can be an old-school guy, and you can still hire someone to run an analytical department. Like I said, you don't have to use it. No one takes analytics as – well, I won't say no one. Smart people don't take analytics as gospel, but they also don't take, you know, instinct – instinct and gut as as gospel either and i guess since we're talking about stats and numbers and stuff we can transition into the combine here we only have about 18 minutes left and i know the combine is big for people so i I don't want to miss this uh i spent no time watching it so what we're going to do is i'm going to ask you questions did you did you have anything else on analytics other than you know it's frustrating? I had I just had one other one other thing really quick. Yeah, sorry. And it it relates into more more than just the NFL. It's kind of the whole discussion as a whole, and it's been brought up a lot lately because 
uh, a guy like Charles Barkley went out and you know decried analytics and on national television. And then you've got players. Um, oh, who was it? There's a guy for I think it was the Rams. Was it or oh, who was it? I think it was I one of the Rams know. players. Anyway, I think it was one of the Rams players who just went on like a, a Twitter rant about how analytics weren't any good. Anyway, the, there's 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 like this analytics versus tape and instincts and scouting battle, and it's not. It's just it's so insulting to intelligence because <laughs> it shouldn't be one or another, one or the other. I mean, it never should be one or the other. There should always be a marriage between the two if you're going to, to use either of them uh, correctly and as efficiently as possible. So it it just it should never be an, an us-against-them kind of tone that it's become because they should be things that are working in tandem. And instead we have this this like analytics crowd and this tape crowd and and it's us-against-them instead of how do how can we make these numbers match with what we're seeing on the tape, and how can we use that to most efficiently, you know, and when you're looking at it from a team building perspective, most efficiently, you know, add players, whether it's via the draft or the free agency or whatever else, and it's 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 just depressing a little bit from a from an analyst point of view that we have that that kind of debate going on when when like I said we we should be looking at this from a how can we how can we marry the two. It always just bothers me how it turns into such a, a straw man where the old school guys are like, why would I trust a computer to pick a guy? Like, no one thinks that. The best way I can say it is you, you and I watch football. We see stuff. We, we form an opinion based on what we see, right? Then we go to DV, we go to footballoutsiders.com and we, we look at it. Okay, so are our thoughts on Trent Richardson confirmed and what we're looking for like success rate uh where he's running how you know all the advanced stuff there and if it's not confirmed we think okay why isn't it confirmed why did why do numbers the advanced stats say he's better than we think he is so then do we go back and watch some more do we go to the all 22 and we we watch the blocking or we watch his decision making and we say oh you know what we made a mistake this is the mistake we made or do we go back and go, no, you know what, we're watching this and we still don't see it. Then we go to a different set of of, uh, advanced, of metrics and we say, well, this, you know, PFF is sort of agreeing with us and GVOA isn't. You know, two out of three we win, meatloaf rules. Okay, you know, or we see Trent Richardson and he d- just, you know, the stats confirm what we're saying. And we're, okay, so what we need to do is, is formulate a plan to move on from Trent Richardson. I'm saying this as if, you know, you and I have any power over decision making <laughs> or the opposite. We think he looks, you know, great. And the numbers are saying he, he's not. And then that can be an issue where, uh, again, confirmation bias or we are overvaluing big plays. You know, boom bust running backs often are overvalued because you remember the big plays, but you totally forget, you know, 70% of the time they're losing yardage, right? So are those players valuable? Well, in the long run, probably not because you're losing down far too often. And that's a very extreme example of a boom-bust player. But, you know, there's so many things that your eyes don't pick up on. And this isn't just in, in football or sports. Like, 
studies have been done, you don't things that happen, your memory isn't really that good. Now, scouts usually take notes and whatnot, and coaches always have tape to go back to. But all this is is a tool, and all you're doing is confirming or not confirming what your opinion was based on what you saw. And if it confirms, great, then you're right, move on. If it doesn't confirm, then just additional study, right? Right, and and real quick before we move on, it's the NFL is a constant state of analysis, it's a constant evolution. Players change, play, they get older, they develop, they you know they decline, uh, they change systems, and things change, and and there's there's so much year to year, week to week, month to month, there, there's so much change that you have to have something to keep your your first you know your first impressions accountable because so often. Our, our opinions of players and our analysis of players or of schemes or of coaches is based on our, our first impressions. I mean, that's that's why there was so much belief in Matt Richardson for so long is because our first impression of him were these highlights at, at, at Alabama and this fantastic college running back. But he wasn't that in the NFL. And the numbers said that. I mean, they said that his rookie season. So, again, not that it was completely wrong to believe that Trent Richardson could develop. And not that there weren't some extenuating factors, but you look at you know you you have to have something to keep you in check and to keep you accountable because otherwise we like you said we miss so much. There's whether it's big picture trends that we're missing because we're focusing on on singular games, or or whether it's those first impressions that are blinding us a little bit. I mean, there's a lot of things in the NFL that that cause change, and there's there's reasons why we'll miss that if we don't have something concrete to, to keep us accountable. Let me, I'm sorry. I, I, I know I'm so bad at helping you meet time goals, but I want to add one more thing. The reason I'm passionate about analytics is I think they're super important in a situation where a salary cap is involved because you, you have to make fine decisions. And when I mean fine, like you have very little wiggle room for error. When you become a good team, you're going to be spending a lot of money on a handful of players. And I think that this is pretty consistent uh, across all sports and across all successful teams. Like eventually every sport has necessary positions and every sport, those, those players on successful teams will make a lot of money and you're not going to be able to get around it, especially in the NFL where you don't have 33 good quarterbacks, right? There's not one laying around. So if, if you get Andrew Luck and you, you're a successful team, you're, you're keeping Andrew Luck and you're paying him whatever he gets this offseason or next offseason, you have to build a team around him in the constraints of a salary cap as a high payroll team. So you need every tool at your disposal to fill that roster out perfectly. You can't afford – they could afford all the misses they had because of Andrew Luck's contract because he was on the – because so many of their good players were on rookie deals. Moving forward, especially after the class of 2012 gets their second contract, they have no room for error, and all those all of those deals have to be like perfect decisions. You're going to miss occasionally, but you can't miss big, right? So every deal they make moving forward, they they should have every tool in the toolbox out and ready to use. That's that's it. I'm with you. Okay. Speaking of of tools and half-naked guys, 
uh, the con- the combine was on. So is it still on? No, it's over by now. Today's Tuesday, Today's right? It's got to be over. Yeah. Okay. I don't. I'm not trying to disrespect anyone. We tried to get a combine guest on, but it didn't work out. So here's what we're going to do. I'm going to play the guy who knows nothing because I don't. Well, I don't know anything. I don't know nothing. And uh, Kyle, I'm going to ask you some questions. So first of all, uh, how much did you watch? of the combine. Did you watch everything? No, I did not watch everything. <laughs> I was okay. not going to spend what, my weekend watching the combine. Uh, I did watch, you, I, I, I watched some of the positional drills and, and, uh, I went back and watched some after the fact. Um, and I, I've gone through a lot of the numbers, which I think is, again, that's the big thing is, is going to be the numbers because even, even and the positional drills, I think are important just to kind of get a feel for players. But I've also watched a lot of these, not everybody, but I've, I've watched a lot of these guys on tape too. So I think I have a little bit of a positional feel for them as well that uh, that might matter more than than the kind of isolated position drills. But uh, I do have a little bit of a sense of, of what's going on in the combine, and hopefully we can we can make this be a somewhat productive little stint. So my my first question then is, and this is a two-part question. How do you, how much value do you place on the combine, and how much value do you think is actually placed on the combine, like in the NFL, and then just for you? Well, I really like what Ryan Gregson said uh, earlier in the week, which was he uses things like the forty to set a market value on a player, not necessarily moving him up and down on their board, but to set where he thinks they'll probably be in the market. Um, and I think there's a there's a really really smart way to to do that to to say okay well we think you know he's going to be here we can think we can get him here and and I think when you're looking at drafting you have to think about players that way. Um, I think for me the four, the the drills in the combine the the measurables to me the only thing that that I really worry about I think there's like certain baselines that that positions need to fit especially when you're looking at like skill positions. And you're saying, okay, we've got you know a wide receiver who's running a four eight. I mean, that's that's probably a, a red flag. That's not necessarily again. They're not necessarily things that are going to move them off the board completely or anything like that. But if you have a wide receiver who you think, okay, one of the things that we like about him is his his speed, his long you know his, his speed on the field, and he runs a you know four seven four eight on at the combine. But then you go back to that tape and you say, okay, well, is this, does he look fast because he's going against some bad competition and they're taking bad angles or they're, they're just a lower quality competition overall? Um, that, I mean, there's value to that. But in terms of comparing guys directly, like say, okay, well, this running back ran uh, a 4-8 four, four, and this one ran a 4-5-9, so we're going to move this guy up. I think, I mean, that kind of thing. Uh, is is very dangerous, and I don't necessarily think the NFL teams think that way, but people do. Uh, what were the biggest stories for you coming out of the combine? And, and forget future Cole Adrian Peterson and all that. Just on the field stuff, what happened at the combine? Um, there's the, the two things that I kind of focused on at the combine were uh, edge players and then running backs because those are two really high needs I think for the Colts that they're going to be looking at players in those first probably you know two or three rounds um, I think for for running backs you had overall a case where you had 
for the most part, running backs ran a little slower in the combine than people expected. I don't think, for me, that doesn't really matter all that much because I, I don't think speed, long speed, is necessarily the, the trait that I value in a running back. Um, there were some guys who, who really stood out from a combine perspective, like late-round guys that I really liked anyway. Uh, David Johnson from Northern Iowa had a really good day, and he's a guy who looked good on tape as a as a late round, could be like a late round steal, a guy who could contribute, maybe not on all three downs, but uh, can contrib- definitely contribute on third down and, and be a guy who could be a part of a committee. Uh, and he had a really good day. And so he's from, like David Johnson, is from Northern Iowa. So there were some of those questions of, well, how much of this is him and how much is, is competition? And you have to kind of balance that. So for him to come out and have a good combine for me, that was, you know, that that is a good sign saying, okay, he, he is this athletic. He can do this. Um in terms of edge rushers, I think the big story for me really is that the guys that I see would be great fits for the Colts as edge rushers, uh, they had some pretty good combines. And, and it's going to be very difficult to see them dropping down to 29. So if the Colts want to get one of the, the top end edge rushers, uh, they're probably going to have to trade up. Um, specifically, I was looking at uh, Vic Beasley from Clemson and, and Bud Dupree from uh, what, Kentucky. Uh, and those two sure. guys both had really good combines. And so for me, that it, it's unfortunate almost because I, I, it's hard to see them uh, dropping down to 20 you know, The One other specific player that uh, come, came out of the combine with some issues was, was Paul Dawson, who was an inside linebacker, and I really liked Dawson uh, from the film. But he did have, I mean, he didn't just have a, a you know below average combine. His, his combine was, like, drastically bad, which you're looking at one of the slowest 40 yards for inside linebackers. You're looking for uh, not one of the slowest, but one of the slowest for those athletic guys. Uh, dead last in like the vertical jump and stuff like that. So he was a guy who you look at the tape and he was just so athletic, and that was the thing that you really like about him. Um, so for him to come to the combine and, and not perform well at all, you you got to go back again, go back to the tape, and then uh, also hope that he does a little bit better at his pro day so it kind of, again, kind of, is in a better marriage with your with your case study. Well, based on DeQuell Jackson, I don't think they care about how athletic their linebackers are. <laughs> okay. Harsh. Any any other big? Do you think that this is a good draft for the Colts? Based, you know what their needs are better than anyone. Do you think that this is the kind of draft they really need right now, or is this one where maybe they should think about either trading up and getting? something they definitely need or trading down and just collecting a bunch of lottery picks, lottery, you know, lottery tickets. I think it, it really sits well with their needs for the most part. The one area that it doesn't, you look at safety uh, and it's safety is so thin and, and they really need at least one, if not two safeties. But outside of that, I mean, it's the, the draft is pretty deep and has good top end talent at, at the edge rushing and at the defensive line. Um, Inside linebacker, maybe not so much, but running back is really deep as well. Wide receiver is an area where they could definitely look at getting an upgrade, whether it's a starter early in the draft or, or even just depth. So uh, for the most part, I think their needs and the depth and quality of this particular draft, it's pretty good. And and this draft isn't doesn't have quite the same top-end talent as last year's draft did, which really sucks considering they uh, didn't have a first-round pick last year, <laughs> but at the same time, water over the bridge or under the bridge or over the bridge. So the Colts, maybe it's over. 
we're out of time. For the most part, like I said, I think. Sorry. Uh, I mean, I'm pretty much done. So. Okay. I'm sorry, guys. I talk too much, guys. It's it's a known issue. Uh, Maybe we'll fix it in a future patch. I don't know. (laughs) Okay. But yeah, so uh, anyway, to finish up that combine conversation, the, the combine the, the draft is deep in a lot of different areas, and they can definitely grab some impact players. So, uh, Greg, appreciate you coming on again, and uh, Thanks for looking forward to, to going next week. Uh, next week, I'm not sure exactly when we're going to be yet. Depends on when Greg and I can make it happen. But uh, we'll hopefully be having a uh, guest on to talk free agency as that really ramps up next week. And uh, we appreciate you guys listening. So. And next week. Bye, guys. Have a good week.